0: Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. Welcome to the uh, Real Leaders Podcast, and I'm here with Lauren Edwards. And Lauren, let me uh, let me just such. A, I think we first met on Facebook. Is my memory? Is my fifty-year-old brain rightly remembering this?
1: It is. You're <clears throat> completely correct. No cognitive decline.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we could tell from um, so yeah. I posted uh, a friend of mine uh, who was in ministry uh, died. I think as far as we could tell, took his own life. I don't want to. Uh, say things that, uh, that, I, that are not 100% confirmed. And then you talked about some research and your own experience as a pastor's wife and a clinician. And so, uh, you know, I've been corresponding with you a little bit on email and really I'm honored to have you on the show today. Um, from the accent, we could tell that you're obviously from Texas. So tell us how things are going in Texas right now.
1: <laughs> I couldn't tell you how things are going in Texas, Mark. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm living at the minute in Lincoln in, U- in the UK. And uh, me and my husband uh, pastor a a number of community churches in Lincoln. We're part of the, uh, you know, the Elim Pentecostal movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and alongside that, I'm also a trainee clinical psychologist. Um, So I'm paid by the National Health Service. I know the NHS gets bad rap out in the American media, but here, us Brits love it. (laughs) Um, And I'm studying as well at Lincoln Mm. Uni, so I'm currently undertaking my doctorate
0: and what is your what 's your doctorate studies in what are you focused on
1: um, so I think obviously my interests as a pastor 's wife um, i think over over the last few years we 've seen a lot there 's been a lot of stories hasn 't there in the media of pastors really struggling um, recently over the last couple of years in fact sadly a couple of pastors have taken their lives um, <clears throat> and so um, my interest was looking into the well-being, the emotional well-being and the mental health of our pastors, our clergy members up and down the UK but and across the globe, really. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of look at what factors are kind of contributing to that. If, if that is negative, if there is a problem there, what's contributing to that? And, and then what support is out there that's available? and uh, <clears throat> and whether our church leaders, uh, our clergy, are able to access that support and whether they're doing that.
0: Okay. So what uh, what did the research entail? What did it look like for this massive project? I'm assuming this is going to culminate in a dissertation or something of that nature?
1: Yeah. So um, in the UK, we do our undergrad, which is uh, like a degree, which we do a dissertation. Then we do master's, which is your middle ground, and then a doctorate. So this is um, a thesis it's, it's a big piece of work, but uh, not unmanageable. Um, <clears throat> but beforehand, before I started this, another project that I did was um, a piece of work called a meta-analysis. And that is where you um, search the internet and search all the databases of all the research that's already been completed to kind of see what the data is already saying. And you, can't, you kind of bring it all together and have a look if you can analyze it as one big thing. Um, and then, based off the findings of that, then I decided that I would um, do my thesis on um, uh, the demands of the clergy role uh-huh. uh, the the um, Religious coping, how, how um, our pastors are coping with the demands they're facing and whether that has an impact on whether or not they struggle with their emotions and mental health. And then finally, as the kind of uh, extra add-on bit, what support is out there and is there any barriers or facilitators to support that we can um, we can help with, I guess, as clinicians as well and as, as the church, the, the big C church, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for your research. And I'm looking forward to diving in in just a moment into the details with you. And I think, uh, and thank you for you and your husband serving in ministry. Um, I married a pastor's daughter and uh, I've got five kids and we planted a church and lead it together here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And uh, I mean, if you've been in ministry, you know that it's a unique Uh, uniquely complicated position. I always say that there are professional relationships like your doctor or your lawyer or your mechanic or your dentist. Then there's personal relationships with your friends. And then ministry is this pastoral role that's a bit of both. People have professional demands on your time and energy, but they want the access and relationship of a close friend. And Mm -hmm. so it becomes very hard to maintain healthy boundaries in relationships, uh, sometimes in the church, Uh, The unhealthy people make real high expectations and demands on the pastor and their family. Um, Ministry, as you know, is is one job that requires more of the spouse and the kids than than most any other job. And and they need to be uh, available and hospitable and relational. Uh, Most pastors I know are overworked. Most pastors I know are underpaid. Um, Most pastors I know um, as well have bad governance in the church that makes it hard for them to get a Sabbath, to get a sabbatical, to protect their family time, uh, to maintain emotional health, to get guarded from critics or enemies or divisive people or people that have mental health issues. And, uh, And I think the conversation we're about to have is more crucial than ever, because this year has been overwhelming for everyone, but especially for leaders. And at least where we're at in the States, I don't know about the UK, but we are so divided and polarized right now that if you're a pastor or a leader, it doesn't matter what you decide, half the people are going to hate you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, and, uh, and it's exhausting and, you know, you, you set your schedule, it gets blown up. You set your holidays, they get blown up. I mean, there's, uh, you know, you go from kids in school to now they're homeschooling on, the computer and the whole life goes upside down, and I was on a Zoom call yesterday with some really wonderful pastors, godly, great people that I, you know, I have high admiration for. Honestly, it was probably the most depressing call and conversation I've had in five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, churches dying and closing, boards turning on pastors, total division in leadership, financial nuclear meltdown. Uh, nobody is showing up to church. They're trying to reopen, but having a very hard and complicated time. Uh, pastors struggling with panic attacks, heading up to the platform. Pastors that uh, are burned out need to go on sabbatical, but the church will die if they do. I mean, it it literally, the timing of the conversation, I think, is really divine, because I got off the call shaking my head going, I mean, and then, And then lastly, uh, Barna's group set out a study saying that one in three Christians has no intention of returning to church after this crazy season is over. And one in five churches, at least in the States, is high risk of dying in the next 18 months. Mm -hmm. And so you add all of that just on a pastor and his family, and they're supposed to take care of everyone and they're not even allowed to be with everyone. I mean, you know, your research is incredibly timely, but I think in light of this past year, it's, it's I think things have probably gotten infinitely worse And so maybe just tell us what your research showed, the trends you're seeing, concerns you have, solutions you might have. I want you to sort of dominate our conversation together. And I just wanted to set you up and just see what you've learned and what you'd share with leaders and especially their spouses.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. I think everything you've said as well, um, the themes that were coming out of the kind of demands that clergy members are talking about is everything that you just touched on completely. And I mean, that stuff was pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So, so we're talking about, you know, the high expectations of the congregation. You've already got divided opinions about different things. Uh, the pressures on family. Absolutely. Um, we always laugh and say that here in the UK, when, when a minister is hired, the assumption of the church is that it's buy one, get one free and that you yeah. get one as well, you know, yeah. and leading worship and on the youth team. Um, <clears throat> so it's, it's a tough call and it's, it's, um, it's, there's another layer to it as well in that you can walk into any job around the world or any career and that forms part of your identity, right? But um, as a member of the clergy, it's something different to that, it's something beyond that, it's a divine calling. And so the stakes of failure, even when you begin, are so much higher than they are for any other role. So you've got all this pressure and all these demands and these huge stakes of failure. You know, what does it mean if I fail? Was I ever called? And, and one of the things we found that a lot of clergy were saying is that they, they have fears a lot of the time about, was I even really called? Was, did God really ever want me? Or did I make a mistake? Did I get it wrong? Mm-hmm. And to carry that alongside all of this other stuff is just immense. And like you said, the role, the clergy role itself is so varied, isn't it? There's, You know, um, a guy called Samuel Blizzard in 1956, he was um, a minister and a theologian and also a behavioural scientist. And throughout his life, he studied the clergy and uh, all the different roles that they entail. And he came up with six things. He said they're ritualists, pastors, preachers, teachers, organisers and administrators. And I mean, what, what other role in the planet would you ever apply for in which you have to hold all of that, juggle all of that?
0: Yeah, and you add, you add to that today, you know, P- PR representative, social media monitor, fundraiser, um, and then you throw in all the legal complexity of our current world. I mean, you're part-time lawyer, part-time PR, part-time teacher. I mean, now we're probably up to 10, 12 roles. I mean, just even the work of social media today where you can just be criticized, attacked, even by people you know and love in your own church. I mean just add to all of that I mean it's it's I think it's overwhelming
1: yeah and there's a relational trauma like an interpersonal trauma there in in terms of you you sort of touched on it about boundaries being a professional and wanting to have this friend relationships thing going on that the congregation expects you to be both but then when the the criticism comes it's as if they you know leaders are expected to be able to disconnect the friend side the relational side and be able to take on board all of that criticism and the correction and the challenge that come from outside and just to be able to absorb that and that's something that isn't humanly possible for somebody who's trying to fulfill a professional role and a pastoral caring you know friendship support role as well it's it's really difficult um So, yes, we've got all of these job roles going on. But then we've also got this other, like the Ephesians 4 um, underlayer of of the gifts of each individual pastor. You know, when we talk about the fivefold ministry, often um, the congregation will expect their pastor to embody all five of the gifts and be great in every area and whichever area you're not so strong in or it isn't your kind of core passion you'll be picked up on it you know all the church isn't very evangelistic we're not doing Mm -hmm. enough outreach so you do a bit of outreach well the church isn't very pastoral or the church you know
0: yeah
1: you need a team don't you and so many churches i think particularly smaller churches don't have a team they're relying on one family who may or may not have all of those gifts and may or may not be strong in all of those areas so, yes, we've got all that going on anyway. Then coronavirus came and hit a smack bang wallop in the middle of all of that. Um, and people are having to pass the from home. Now, some of the clergy I interviewed found this a massive relief to not have to be, I think it's personality differences, but but to not have that pressure every Sunday of having to get up and present a sermon that they could share that with other local ministers and that they could pre-record services, etc.
0: Yeah. I would um, say that real quick though. For some guys, I don't know about your husband preaching to an empty room over and over and over. If you're highly relational, social, which a lot of pastors, most pastors probably are highly relational, social, more extroverted. And the result is, man, if you're up weak, like I talked to a guy recently here in the States Uh, He's not been in the room with his people for six months. He's a complete extrovert, highly relational. Every week goes into an empty room and tries to motivate people speaking to a camera with nobody in the room. And for a lot of pastors, that's a brand new skill. They've never done that. They didn't get any time to practice for it. And now they're having to figure out the technology to record it and edit and distribute it. And, uh, And heaven forbid, you know, if they don't have the tech team already assembled to execute on it, for a lot of guys, it is a relief, but at the same time, it's a whole nother level of stress. Um, and, and for a lot of guys, they're just getting depressed and lonely because they, they feed off that interaction with their people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that's the divide. that the, the minority were relieved. The, the majority of the group were dying on their feet. And absolutely, um, that lack of interaction. And um, there, there's an element of... Um, presenting isn't there and showmanship when you get up and you preach that message um to your congregation and you have the feedback and then and not just that the, the coffee afterwards and, and caring for people and actually being able to minister to people and pray for them face to face um yeah many of the uh, clergy members that i spoke to said that that's been the biggest struggle of lockdown <clears throat> being completely sort of separated and not having that feedback and that interaction so um so, yeah, so all of that together. And I mean, my research started way before COVID began. Mm-hmm. And so when I was doing my interviews, I slotted in a COVID-related question at the end to be like, I need to pick up some of this stuff that's happening as well. Um, but, yeah, so even before that, this, the clergy role is very complex. Um, there's the spiritual layer, isn't there, of, of the calling from, from God, uh, you know, expecting us, bringing us into this role. Um, and then you've just got the real complicated nature of all them expectations from your congregation too. And so it's, it's probably not a surprise to hear that in the vast majority of studies, um, clergy are shown sort of repeatedly to have rates of depression at four times the, the national average or the national wow. estimated average. <laughs> so the, the global health estimate, which is the WHO, reckon that... Um, about 4.4% of the general population have depression at any one time. That's the prevalence rate. Um, just a caveat that that's really difficult to estimate. So it could be a fair bit lower or higher than that. Um, but when I did the meta-analysis uh, originally, I initially had like 820 something studies that I found about clergy depression. And, and once I filtered those down into the appropriate ones, the average rate of depression across the studies was 13 percent
0: wow
1: and that was removing the outliers so there were some much higher outliers there were some that were up to 20 22 percent um and then my study my own personal one that so i've got 300 clergy participating. in that the rate was 17 percent, and these are people wow. that have symptoms of moderate or severe depression
0: And so with that, too, I mean, I think that there is for a lot of pastors and ministry leaders and even their spouses, there's a reticence to be fully disclosing and honest because in some circles it could you you, wrongly, but you could think, well, I must be unspiritual. If I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I would be living in victory and power and triumph Or in some situations, if you're struggling or have a hard season, and you disclose that to the people or to the board, they might turn on you, they might terminate you, they might be looking for a reason to load the gun and to end you. And so it tends to be that my my feeling is that everybody in the church gets a pastor except for the pastor, and every family in the church gets a pastor except for the pastor's family. And most governance structures don't take good care of the pastor and his family. I, I taught a, a class at a seminary here in, uh, in Phoenix uh, for leadership, and it was senior pastors, and they brought their wives. And I asked them to bring their wives, and I, I said, okay, how many of you, your husband is a senior pastor? All the wives raised their hand. I said, how many of you, uh, you, you do not see that your husband has a pastor who cares for him? They all raised their hand. I said, how many of you, there's no pastor to care for your family. All the wives raised their hand and they all started crying. Yeah. And they're carrying this burden that they, they can't express because if they express it, it could sound like they're whining, complaining, unspiritual, ungrateful, or disqualified.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a mass protection racket. Nobody wants to
0: <laughs> speak
1: yeah. out. Everybody thinks they're the only one. Um, And and there is this real fear. Several of the pastors that I interviewed said, you know, if I speak up, I'm going to get a black mark against my name, you know, and I think we do accountability really well in the church, but we don't do care very well for our pastors.
0: That is brilliant. If you could explain the difference between accountability and care, because I think most structures are accountability. If the pastor does something, we can bust him, but not care to help him be healthy so that he doesn't do or they don't do those things
1: yeah so accountability this is about sin about holiness about getting bums on seats you know uh what are your figures this month what's your appraisal so so it's about expectation and if you're meeting the mark whereas care and and that's about your well-being that's caring about you as an individual giving you place to reflect uh, to have a think about your your own well-being and your family <clears throat> sorry got a groggy throat today but um there's, there's such a divide and we can't experience care from somebody who is seeking accountability from us, if you like. It's, it's a different relationship and it's a different style of meeting. And it's really difficult to have those two things together. So if you've got somebody, a colleague that is holding you accountable, it's very difficult for you then to also be open to them in a way that you can share where you're at in an honest way. And, you know, we, we need people in our lives that really understand confidentiality as well. Because mm-hmm. I think confidentiality is a real problem in church governance. I think we say it's okay for the flock, but as soon as uh, the pastor needs to speak to someone, it's like, well, if, if we think there's sin going on, then we've got to report that somewhere else. We're going to take you down from your position. You know, that, that's, it's game over. And so because there's that knowledge there, there's, there's no permission to seek support. And that word came up several times, permission. Um, pastors don't feel that there's permission to seek support or to be really open and honest about where they're at in their spirituality, in their emotions, um, in their mental health. Although it's worth noting that um, several pastors in, in the sample that I had didn't kind of characterise their difficulties as mental health difficulties. Some would characterise them more as a spiritual difficulty, you know, so that's worth noting as well. But yeah, accountability is not the same and it's no. No, it doesn't fulfil the same role at all. And what we have, uh, I don't, particularly in the UK, I'd imagine the US is similar, we have pastors that are absolutely inundated with accountability stuff. But completely empty, the cup's empty when it comes to care and well-being and somebody who is there for you in a non-judgmental way to really check in with you and how you're doing and what the things are that you're really struggling with emotionally in your church, in your family. How are things between you and your wife? You know, all of that stuff so important. And I think pastors are really isolated um, pastors talked about not being able to talk to colleagues other other church leaders because there's that sense of maybe there's some competition here or I don't want to be the one that's failing or struggling or I'm weak or maybe I'm not called um they couldn't go up to superiors because there's that fear of of being taken down taken out or having that black mark against their name and of course you can't you can't speak to people in your congregation about that stuff it's just so so all around you're kind of hemmed in by this racket that isn't really kind of letting you out anywhere. And I mean, to be fair, some, some pastors talked about having spiritual directors from different denominations who weren't connected with them in any way and would speak to them on a, on a completely sort of personal, uh, more of a therapeutic basis, and they reported that that was really helpful. So it wasn't all doom and gloom.
0: <laughs> yeah, but in that, um, unless the pastor and the wife get to choose who their care and their pastoral oversight is it ends up being legalistic and it ends up being non-relational and it ends up being accountability because let's say a congregation votes for a board or a board votes for board successors they can't pick the friends or the pastors that you and your husband would feel safe and trusting. I mean, everybody else in the world gets to pick kind of who their pastor is and who they trust, except for the pastor and his wife. Some governance structure decides who those people are for them, which is insane. I mean, I would never stand up before a group of people and say, okay, you guys vote on who my wife and I are going to talk to about our sex life. I mean, that's insanity. It's total insanity. You know, yeah. we would never do that to anybody. We would never pull Tom and Sally up on Sunday and say, hey guys, we're going to vote on who's going to get into their sexual issues. I mean, yeah. it, but we, we do this. And I think a lot of this is, I think a lot of the, I think the culture, the dysfunction and the lack of health, I think what you're driving at, a lot of it has to do with governance. If the church is set up in such a way that it benefits the denomination or it benefits the board, but it doesn't consider the well being of the leader and their family, then they pay a huge price that benefits others. And so, like uh, my wife and I, we had a we had a really hard governance season. Uh, a board of sixty seven at one point. So wow. that was that was fun. And, uh, <laughs> and we we made a hard transition. And after eighteen years of senior pastor, I was just tired. Just literally, just more. I love Jesus. I love my wife. I love my kids. There's there's nothing disqualifying. We're just exhausted. And uh, we found. A godly, older clinician, uh, married 50 years, all the credentialing, filled with the Spirit, knows the Bible, loves Jesus, has been a senior pastor, was a pastor's kid, full privacy confidentiality. Met with him, gosh, at least once a week for better part of a year, and just together with my wife, Grace. Pray together, seek his counsel. How do we forgive? How do we unburden? How do we heal up? How do we love? Because I wanted to get, I wanted to be healthy before I re-entered ministry. Yeah. And uh, and to do that, I just needed a break because it had been, you know, two, almost two decades at war. And that man, after we transitioned, uh, he said, you guys are doing great. You know, you guys love Jesus, love each other. You know, you don't need me to be your you know, counselor clinician, he said, but uh, I do want to be your pastor. And so he stayed with us for years now in that pastoral role. We know him. He comes over for dinner. He knows the kids. He knows the family. He's he's literally one of the wisest, godliest men I've ever met. He's got an incredible marriage and great wife. And uh, I could have used him in my 20s, my 30s, and I, I finally got him in my 40s. But boy, that was 20 years, you know, just a soldier on the front line, you know, with, with, with no triage, you know, there's there, there's no medic to go to. And, uh, and I think most pastors have been going more than 20 years without that person or that, you know, that small group of people that they can confide and trust in. And, and what I'm seeing is then uh, pastors are quitting and leaving the ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, even on my call yesterday, a lot of the guys are they're throwing in the towel. Some are going to the point where they're they're literally having panic attacks and anxiety attacks, and and medically they they're going to need a break. And some of the guys that I've seen, they I've actually talked to multiple pastors, who they committed adultery, and I asked, okay, what happened? You know, where did the marriage go south? And they they terrified me. They said something to the effect of, well. If I told everybody that I was burned out and tired and couldn't do it anymore, they would want me to take a break and come back. But if I committed adultery, then they would just leave me alone. So I committed adultery. So committing adultery was their way of leaving the ministry. Yeah. And some, they take their own life. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, and I've even had a couple of friends that that's been tragically the situation. So, I mean... You know, what would you say to that ministry couple who they're hearing you and all the fire alarms are going off in their soul and they're saying, that all sounds really familiar? That's our reality. What would you encourage them to be aware of diagnostically and then for a solution?
1: Yeah. Well, I'd say, first of all, I think anybody in ministry who's struggling at the moment would need to know they're completely normal. Um, I think it would be abnormal. (laughs) <laughs> for, for any of us not to be feeling the stress and strain right now with COVID and just the role. You know, I heard someone say the other day that ministry years are like dog years. One yeah. year of ministry is like seven years of any other job. So yeah. <laughs> each year ticking kicking away. You're exhausting yourself. We all need a break. Um, but I would really encourage um, anybody that's, that's hearing this message right now and thinking, you know what, now is the time. We need to get help and support you know speak to somebody that you you may not be able to speak to anybody within your church organization but there are uh clinicians like as you said mark about the the chap that was a he was a trained clinician but he's also you know a christian a faithful spirit-filled man these people are around and they take a while to find but there's charitable organizations that literally collect these kinds of people you know um and seek somebody that you know you can speak to in confidence, in non-judgment. And, and that might be somebody that is even outside of the church. That might be sort of a medical...
0: Probably, probably somebody outside of the church.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, compl- I mean the church big scene. Oh, you know. yeah, okay, yeah. If you had to go to your doctor or... I don't know the structure exactly of the support systems in the U.S., but if you need to go to couples counseling and therapy, and there is not an option to do that, within the church structure that you're within just go and find it outside of that. You know, I've always been a believer that all truth is God's truth, you know, and these people are trained based on scientific evidence. They've not, you know, therapy isn't the devil. When I first started doing psychology, actually, somebody came to me in church and said, you need to stop now doing the devil's psychology. (laughs) (laughs) And I've had that several times, people have come to me and said that, but, you know, I really believe that God's put me in this position to serve. When, when I finish, I want to serve pastors and provide a service uh, to pastor the pastors, if you like, or to provide therapy. Um, but, you know, and, and to know that actually there's a whole load of other clergymen and women out there that are experiencing exactly the same thing as you are at the moment, you know, and uh, that, that you're not in the minority probably even. That so many people are experiencing the same thing, and and that actually to reach out and seek support isn't a sign of weakness. It's not a black spot against your name. You know, uh, lots of other pastors question their calling. That's really normal. Um, but actually, the, if you want to come through the other end with your faith and your family intact, seek the support. Just seek the support, and you know, church. God has got the church in control, you know, even if you're taking a back seat for a while or you're out of ministry. Um, but I was in a meeting a few, a couple of years ago now where senior kind of movement leaders, if you like, were, were discussing how do we deal with train wrecks and scandals better? And I was a bit infuriated and I stood up and I said, we are we talking about how we can deal with them? sort of after the fact why aren't we looking at ways in which we can put preventative measures in for our clergymen and women when they're at that place we need to acknowledge that this role is already stressful we need to acknowledge that this is more than most other people do in their lifetimes so that support should be there now not when it gets bad
0: exactly exactly and and within that um what would you say to the spouse who they, they love the Lord, they love their church, they love their family, they love their husband? Uh, let's say it's a female. So I know there are female clergy as well. So maybe it's a husband with his wife or a wife with a husband. And they're seeing their spouse and they're saying they're not doing well. They're depressed, they're anxious, they're grumpy, they're self-medicating, they're they're showing signs of not doing well. And I'm concerned about them because I, you know, I love them and I care for them. But the spouse isn't sure how to bring it up or say it because they don't want to seem like a critic. And maybe their maybe their clergy spouse is already getting criticized, attacked, and they, they don't want to they don't want to sound like they're part of that chorus of criticism what would you say to the spouse who's probably in the best spot to diagnose the well-being of the of the clergy member?
1: Yeah, um, I think sometimes using we instead of you is a really good way to approach a situation like that. You know, I'm wondering if we're, we're not doing very well lately. You know, these are the things... I've noticed, and, and I think there's kind of judgmental language and there's non-judgmental language, you know, so pointing out, you know, you're not doing your best, you haven't been doing this, you haven't been doing that, may not be a helpful route to go about it. But even, I mean, even maybe bringing up if they've heard this podcast, oh, you know, I heard the other day that lots of clergy are really struggling right now in COVID lockdown, having a more a broader conversation first, thinking about things that um, are affecting everybody. And then gradually honing down and, and allowing just some space for reflection so maybe rather than going in and saying i hadn't i've noticed that this is wrong you know this is happening around the world right now lots of clergy are struggling with mental health difficulties and emotional problems and stress you know how do you think you're doing you know are you at your best are you in the middle somewhere and that's a very sort of non-direct way isn't it of, of kind of bringing the conversation around gently I think it's really difficult. It's, it's always going to be really difficult because I think in our marriages, we, we can always, it, it can come across as being critical, can't it? And we don't want to do that. We want to be able to support and direct. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd start in a, in a non-general way maybe, and then gradually hone in and, and allow a space for reflection. And maybe, um, so in empathy, when we think about empathy, empathy is about connecting with each other's vulnerabilities, so maybe if you've you know, noticed something in your, your husband or your wife that you're really worried about, being able to sit and say, actually, here's something that I've been struggling with during this season. I've found this really difficult and I've noticed my behaviour changed in this way. You know, is there anything, have you felt similar? Is there anything that you've been doing differently? Is there anything we could share together and pray about and maybe do take a next step of asking for support? Um, so yeah, I think... Those two things, maybe be kind of generalizable and bring it in, and then also being vulnerable about what may have been difficult for you first so that it opens the floor to be able to for him or her to be able to share as well.
0: Well, I think that's brilliant, and I think right now, for a lot of pastors and their families, clergy, whatever language you use in the UK, um, I think for a lot of people, they thought, okay we're just going to things are going to be odd and difficult for a while but it's almost like we're going to hit pause and then you know before long we're going to hit play and pick up where we left off mm-hmm. and i think part of the next layer of emotional processing and maybe even discouragement or anxiety is we're not we don't know if or when we're going to hit play and yeah. and it's probably it's very unlikely that we're just going to pick up where we left off and go to back to wherever normal was People aren't going to be coming back to church. Money may not be the same. Staff may not be. The, I mean, it's everything has changed. Um, and in some cities in the U.S., people are fleeing. They're leaving. There's riots, looting. I mean, and and so they've got all of these complex variables. And I think for a lot of couples, they were just sort of hunkering down, white-knuckling, trying to find a way to endure it, assuming that it was going to be okay. And I think now they're realizing that that the future isn't going to be the same. Yeah. And that can, that can lead to a lot of depression or anxiety. But it, it, I, to me, it seems like, you know, feel free to disagree that it's probably time for a lot of couples to sit down and say, okay, let's find reality and let's figure out what the future looks like. Grace and I, my wife, we, um, we just uh, celebrated 28 years of marriage. And um, so we went away for a week and it was really a vision marriage retreat. Mm-hmm. And we brought uh, from Exo marriage uh, Jimmy Evans is one of our overseers and pastors, and we love him very much and We took his little curriculum on the phone and you watch the videos and you do the homework and and uh, and it was really just trying to figure out, okay for the next season of our life, our time, our energy, our health, our kids, our soul, our you know what are our priorities, what is life going to look like and It took us a few days of praying and talking and processing, and even some grieving to figure out, okay, we believe this is the next season, but we needed as a couple to get unified and we needed to have a vision so that we didn't have division, which is two visions, and we needed to figure out, you know, how are we gonna be healthy into the future because it doesn't look like things are gonna just snap back to normal. And and I think, you know, giving couples, especially clergy couples permission to not just pretend like God's in it, there's going to be a revival, it's going to be awesome. Even if there is a revival, you're going to be exhausted because now you got to take care of all these new converts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so, um, but I think a lot of people were just holding out for some miracle. And I think it, it, it's going to be a long, hard season.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, that's fantastic. I think that's perfect advice. You know, I think the, this season is going to be a time of sitting down and looking over everything and thinking, what is next for us? How can we be realistic, actually? And can we come to a place of acceptance that this next season might not be what we've anticipated and hoped? Can we put down a bit of that victory theology for a second and, and get back to reality, you know, and acknowledge that God might be walking with us through this? Uh, not Maybe he's not clearing the way for revival. And like you said, if he is, we're exhausted already. How are we going to manage that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that, you know... I think this season will I think there's already a divide, isn't there politically and across the church, but I think in in terms of psychologically and cognitively, there'll there'll be pastors that cope with this better than others. And I think that a lot of that will relate to um, potentially religious and theological frameworks. You know, some people's ideas about God and about the world are being stretched and changed and shaped and shattered. and also the way they cope religiously as well. So one of the things I looked at was religious coping and that ties into kind of um, cognitive psychology and how we view God. So if we view God as, you know, punitive and distant and, and you know, it's a lot harder to work through things than if we view God as somebody who's coming alongside us and that ha- we have a collaborative relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, me- I think I heard you talking on a podcast i don't know how long ago it was so your views may have changed but i think you said something about that really stood out to me about um reformed theology and kind of tying in with that projection of a the father who's abandoned
0: yeah sometimes that and i am reformed and the reformed guys have you know free time so feel free to whack the pinata boys but um Mm -hmm. nonetheless uh that view of god if he is altogether sovereign, very, very distant, non-relational, not personal, more transcendent than imminent. It can be like a father who abandoned you and has kind of left you to your own devices. And it can create a father wound and uh, and it can trigger uh, this sense of abandonment or loneliness. And, you know, my view of God as father is that he is sovereign, but he's present and he's loving. Yeah, And he's, he's not sovereign like Allah, who just lives far away. And if you do something bad, he punishes you. He's not Allah, he's Abba. And Abba comes in and he's the dad who's there to love and help and bless. And he has authority, but it's to protect you, not to punish you. And it's to lift your burdens, not to give you burdens. And that's the kind of father that God is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with that kind of um, framework and those views about God and those views about others and ourselves, You know, pastors with that kind of framework around them already are likely to do better in seasons like this because you've got that flexibility and you can acknowledge God's walking with us through this. You know, this isn't some great punishment for myself or for my city, you know? So, yeah.
0: Well, and then just in that too, uh, I'm going to take a couple minutes at the end here. um, Looking at the emotional life of Jesus, I mean, he had anxiety. He had Mm -hmm. sleeplessness. Yep. Uh, jesus wept and had tears the number one uh, emotion that the bible says jesus had was compassion so he was carrying that burden for other people that's part of the clergy role is that compassion and so you know we can't say that there are positive and negative godly and ungodly emotions there's godly and ungodly expressions of emotions but emotions are in and of themselves neutral and jesus even had anger but obviously, he had it in a way that was wholly righteous and good. And so, yeah, I think sometimes we think that certain emotions are godly and others are ungodly, and and and, and we don't see that modeled in the, in the in the emotional life of Jesus. We just don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that, that's a big problem for for us in the church, isn't it? So anger's the biggest one. People, you know, have anger built up and and they repress it and they squish it down because they think it's you know they they feel guilty for feeling angry, but actually. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not the emotion. Emotions are God-given. They tell us things about ourselves and our environments, and they keep us safe. It's it's our behavioral responses. Yeah. That's why Jesus says, you know, the Bible says, do not sin in your anger. It's not the anger. It's what you do with it.
0: Yeah. So for, uh, for those that are maybe looking at their own life or their spouse's life or, you know, a lot of pastors and leaders are friends with other pastors and leaders, As a clinician, what would be some of the things you would say, you know, if you see these things, these are like warning lights coming on the dash, indicating that there's a problem?
1: Mm, It's tricky. So I would say, I'd pay attention to your thought life. And I think you will know if you're starting to get lots of darker thoughts your moods dropping you're feeling lower i think some of that will be natural right now because we're not as active as we are normally so we become a bit demotivated and we come a bit de- we become a bit depressed anyway because our routine is out of whack so lots of that wouldn't necessarily be clinical it's just you know, how things are at the minute. But tearfulness, sadness, um, sometimes, uh, particularly in men, uh, depression can come out as anger and irritability that isn't usually there. You know, some of us are just angry and irritable all the time. But (laughs) if you see an increase in that, that could be a warning sign. Um, Lots of feelings of guilt, hopelessness, helplessness, any of those kind of thoughts. Definitely if there's suicidal thoughts, you know, I saw this, an awful tweet the other day um, from a theologian that said, you know, suicidal thoughts themselves, uh, you know, are a sin and they need to be repented of. And what I just want to say into that is that our thoughts are, are not, we are not our thoughts. Our thoughts occur. They come in. The Bible says, you know, take every thought captive. And CBT would also tell you to take every thought mm-hmm. captive. And you can choose what you do with that thought. But we all have thoughts, we all have bizarre ones, we all have strange dreams, and they're not indicative of anything dark. But if you're having suicidal thoughts, if you're having all of those other things, I'd say they're red flags, definitely, to say, you know, just speak to somebody, speak to somebody, you don't, it doesn't necessarily need to be your superior in church, or the board, or the governors, but but get hold of somebody who knows who knows what they're talking about, and who loves you, who you know that loves you, and... Sometimes we don't need advice. We just need someone to listen. Um, and it really is true that burden shared is a burden halved. You know, if some if somebody is just a good listener in, in your friendship group, seek them out, you know.
0: Yeah, we call that the ministry of presence. Sometimes that's you can't really- fix the problem, but it's just being present. And that's why Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, you know, so that ministry of presence continues. Let me ask you this in closing. Um, how can we be praying for you? I... I think, honestly, what you're tapping into is brilliant. I didn't know you until this conversation. I'm incredibly impressed by your insights. I wish I would have heard this when I was starting in my 20s. I fully am praying for this ministry heart and calling that you have. I think any pastor and their spouse listening to this, Immediately realizes that this is this is a gold mine that needs to you know get excavated. Um, what are you planning on doing with the research? How can we be praying for you to sort of continue to move this this work forward?
1: So at the moment, I've just began writing up the thesis, and I've got I've already hit some roadblocks, and uh, because I've got two halves, I've got quantitative data which is numerical, and I've got quality data which is interviews, and I want to do the interviews justice. So it's really hard to yeah. to interconnect the two so so be praying that that um the voices of the pastors that i've spoken to really come through in this research and that i can do their you know their real motives and their ideas and their intentions justice in in the write-up and just yeah future really future wise uh, we're praying here in lincoln and some of the pastors i'm working with for more funding for further research into um, ministers' wellbeing and putting together programmes of support for people, but also speaking to denominational leaders about how to improve the governance stuff. How can we move from accountability to care? You know, we can have accountability in there, that's fine, but we also need care
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and that needs to be planned and it needs to be intentional across the board, doesn't it? Because at the minute it's not there.
0: Yeah. And uh, for us, that was why we planted a church, is one of the reasons I wanted to set up a governance that had not just accountability, but care. We believe in accountability. And uh, it has honestly been life-changing. We, we, For the first time in our life, we not only pastor, we have pastors. We have people who know us, care for us, love us, check in on us. And our marriage and our family is the healthiest it's ever been. And so I'm just tremendously grateful and I, I agree with you. You need that professional uh, to walk with you. And then you also need a structure that, that, that encourages that kind of care. And so uh, we'll all be praying for your research and, and for your work. And if you would just keep me up to date by email or whatever, I'd love to know what you're doing when you finish up the project. If it's okay, I'd love to see your research. If you publish something, I'd love to see that. I'd love to just be kept up with what you're doing and, and help folks know about the great work that you're doing, would you be willing, and thank you so much, just for brilliant insights, you're a brilliant woman, and and thank you for your ministry. Uh, Would you be willing to just close our time by praying for pastors, clergy, ministry leaders, their families, and maybe just, uh, maybe the Holy Spirit would use that to start a healing process in their life?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time to share um, and to consider and to reflect, God. I pray that as pastors we're listening to this word this discussion today that their hearts will be open to receive your healing touch a seed into their hearts to to begin to move to begin to uh, change and step into what they can what they can do to to protect their families and to look after their own well-being lord we just pray as well for any pains of past hurts from the church lord that you would begin to heal those things god and we pray, God, that your hand would be across churches, across structures, across ministries, God. That you would um, put these things in place, God, that your pastors could be pastored. They could be looked after well. God, we just pray as well through the rest of this season um, that, that this COVID would come to an end. But that during this time, you would give pastors and their families peace. Um, that you would give them comfort and that you would help them to to accept the season that they're in and find rest and be replenished, God. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. It was an honor to, to learn from you. So thank you for sharing.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Pastor Mark. And I hope you have a great week. <laughs>
0: okay. Tell your husband howdy for me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.